Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. And if you want to uh, listen beyond the FM dial, if you want to listen live, or if you want to check out some of the archives, you can head over to RadioNorthland.org. And hey, you smartphone users, that TuneIn app works very well. Yes, yes, Pioneer 90.1, all three stations featured. Hi, I'm Glenn Broggett, and uh, yes, it's uh, kind of another somber edition of, of the program as uh, we uh, look back on the life of uh, uh, just a guy, when I think about my earliest pro wrestling memories uh, in the early 1980s, watching the AWA, uh, very young kid, six years old or so, I remember you know seeing the big stars, but I also remember the voice and I remember the man they called Mean Gene Okerlund. And we lost Gene January 2nd. Uh, we are about a day removed from uh, the news of his passing uh, here as we record this edition of Rasslin' Memories. And to help us remember the life of Mean Gene Okerlund is our, our very own, my very own co-host, Mr. George Shire, noted pro wrestling historian. Uh, yeah, he's an author. He's done some really good books on the, the AWA uh, results books and the history of pro wrestling in the great state of Minnesota. And he's been uh, an OG co-host with me here on the Rasslin' Memories then and now. And George, uh, welcome again. Uh, the last time we had you on was only uh, just a few weeks ago. So we wrapped up 2018 uh, to remember the life of Larry the Axe Hennig. Uh, now we're here again with you uh, to to celebrate the life of a man who left us here this week, Mean Gene Okerlund. Welcome uh, to the program again, my friend. As always, Glenn, it is a pleasure. Uh, of course, not always under the circumstances that we uh, seem to be doing this the last couple of times, but you're right. Um, we got to pay uh, Mean Gene some homage here, and uh, I know you and I can do it in the next hour here. I absolutely think that we can uh, handle the the responsibilities. I mean, George, as we are talking today, um, not only have you 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 do uh, wonderful stuff here on Rasslin Memories, but you know you've you've kind of become one of the guys, one of the solid sources when 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 athletes or these pro wrestlers pass away. And and in the case of uh, Gene, an announcer, uh, you had plenty to say. Uh, what has it been like for you, just you know, as an historian, having uh, people call and make requests to, for your time to talk about the lives lives and not only uh, Larry last month, but also of, of Gene Okerlund here recently? Well, you know, to be honest, Glenn, if I was, uh, was going to be honest to say, I guess I'm humbled that I get called. Um, yesterday, I got a call from Chad Hartman at uh, WCCO here in the Twin Cities. And, uh, you know, when he introduced me on the air... Uh, you know, you always you always put me over really well, but it was it was very um, uh, awe opening, shall we say, when uh, Chad Hartman said at the beginning, and I'm going to bring on George Shire and nobody, and he says, I repeat, nobody knows more about the AWA and wrestling than he does, and so that's kind of like I say, it's humbling, but that isn't what we're here today to talk about. Um, it is it is always fun when the when i get called but it's always sad when we have to say goodbye to somebody that you know like you pointed out glenn you've you've been uh following mean gene since you were six years old and you know that goes back 30 plus some years for you i know um for me you know i was there at the onset uh, when when mean gene came on the scene of awa wrestling and 
of course, you know, I'm so darn old, I go back to the 50s, so, with our great Marty O'Neill, and, and, but Gene was the, if you named two major wrestling hosts for AWA Wrestling, and then even before it was the AWA, because it was around the Twin Cities since the 40s, there were two very primary figures, and the first one, of course, Marty O'Neill, and the second one, Gene Okerlund. Each of them very different, but absolutely so good at what they did. Oh, the consummate professional. I think you probably feel the same way. The consummate professional was Gene. I mean, that recognizable voice. I mean, the delivery, the the element that he added, uh, you know, to to these interviews and to these these promos to get people out to the arena to put over the feud. I mean, Gene. It didn't matter if he was working for Vern or Vince or even up in WCW. But I mean, he had just that 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 gift, that delivery. That you know, he he sounded. He had that boom. You knew that guy had broadcasting experience and and even if you're a non-wrestling fan if you heard that voice there's a good chance that you probably uh could take it out of thin air and like yeah i know that voice i know it because it just had such a a recognizable quality to it and if you want to get into the game not only do you need to have uh you know a recognizable voice but a personality to go along with it and and mean gene and pro wrestling were the were chocolate and peanut butter Oh, yeah. And, you know, Glenn, we, we, we both know that wrestling through the decades has evolved and changed and, you know, to what the product is today where the, the flamboyancy and the, the, uh, the business is just different. And it was so interesting that I, I had mentioned yesterday when I was uh, talking with Chad Hartman, he said to me, how did Mean Gene fit into the picture coming off of the tales of Marty O'Neill? And that was an interesting question, but it allowed me to say, well, you know, they were, in all truthfulness, night and day in the way they presented the AWA program to the fans from a TV perspective. Marty was, was more low-key, uh, more almost... He had such a great delivery, and, and he, too, had a great broadcast voice. But he was, for lack of a better way of saying it, he was more shy. He, he gave the wrestlers, when they came into the interview area, a, a tagline or a, or a match or a date or something about an opponent. And he pretty much just let the wrestler take it from there. And then when the wrestler was done... Uh, ranting and raving or whatever he may have been doing. Uh, Marty would finish it with the, you know, well, there you have it, fans, run, don't walk, get your tickets, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that was effective for the 50s and 60s and the very early 70s era. And if you went around the country to various territories, you had much the same type of wrestling announcer that Marty O'Neill portrayed. But when we got to Mean Gene, the wrestling business, in, you know, starting in the, in, around the mid-70s, the, the evidence was there, when you look back now in hindsight, that things, they were a-changing. And, you know, I made the comment to a couple of people now in the last day or so that Mean Gene was extremely talented, a very good he had great pipes. 
he he was really good in the role. But I did make the comment that he's aside from having all that great ability and charisma and character that he had, he was lucky to be in the right place at the right time two times during his career. And in fact, Gene himself even admitted this at various times when he would be interviewed. And what I mean by that comment of being in the right place at the right time, which we all know that sometimes that's just the way our lives happen. We, we are in the right place when something good or something bad happens. It's just that's the way it is. For Gene, he was, and, and let me just back up and say one thing. I had remembered Gene Okerlund from the 60s when he had a daily, um, I think it was a two-hour, might have been a three-hour stint every day on the old WDGY radio station, Ouija, as it was known. And in those days, and he was a DJ, he was spinning records, our, our local favorites at the time, and he was under the name of Gene Leader. So I was aware of him, and in 1972, 73, he was a marketing representative at WTCN TV, which today fans will recognize it as K A R E, CARE 11, here in the Twin Cities, but it was WTCN back then. And he's a marketing executive. One day, during the scheduled television wrestling tapings, Marty O'Neill, our great regular and constant and much-loved announcer, is on strike with the broadcast union that he was involved with, and Marty couldn't cross the picket line or wouldn't cross the picket line, whichever you want to choose. And here's the television show ready to be taped. It put Vern Gagne into a momentary frenzy because he needed that pitch man. He needed somebody that could get out there and do the show. And at the last minute, he doesn't have that man. And so he went to Gene Okerlund and he basically said, Gene, can you do the show for me? And so here it is Gene's first time. Now Gene had the experience of being behind the mic. He had the ability to, to be uh, the charismatic person that he'd always been, but now he's in a totally new uh, playground because he's going to do all-star wrestling. And he was on, and he replaced Marty for a couple. What they did in those days is they wouldn't just tape one week's uh, episode of all-star wrestling. They would do two, three, sometimes four weeks out. So Mean Gene basically put in a full day's work pitching all these towns, all these wrestling cards coming up, doing all the interviews. And then as the shows played out, Gene Okerlund was on TV with us for about a month or so of wrestling. Marty comes back and things are back to normal and nothing's really changed. But shortly after that, Marty was taking ill with some heart problems and having issues, had to take some time off. Vern again went to Gene, and unfortunately, 
Marty never really did fully recuperate to take over the announcing duties, and Gene Okerlund became our new voice of the AWA. For that reason, he was in the right place at the right time, because had Marty not been on strike and Marty not taken ill shortly after, like a year or two later, uh, we may not have had a mean Gene Okerlund. And that's how it plays out in that part. You know, so, go ahead. You know, George, when you were watching that, that, that transition or when you started to see Gene, what do you remember? You know, I mean, you remember him from the radio, but, you know, what, what did you think when, when Gene uh, first came on? Because, you know, he's moving in from the field of, of radio and advertising to something with uh, announcing with, with potential physicality, uh, unintentional or not, but it's kind of a different avenue to jump in. But what do you remember about, uh, you know, what did you think of Gene's early, early stuff there when he was filling in for, for Marty O'Neill? Well, you know, it's kind of funny because I think we're all alike as human beings when, when the new person takes over, whether it be a boss at work or, or changes are made. It may be your favorite newscaster on TV when that person is gone and someone replaces them. Sometimes being the replacement is the hardest position to be in because you, you've immediately got those people that are going to be detractors, the distractors to the, to the position you're in and say, you know, he or she isn't as good as so-and-so. I mean, I just think that's human nature. So being the person to replace, and Marty was a legend. Let's, let's not forget that. Uh, I mean, aside from his announcing with wrestling, Marty was had a great background. You and I could go into that at another time. So, in a sense, Gene Okerlund is coming on, and he's stepping on Marty's turf. He's stepping into Marty's, Marty's playground, again, using that term. And I, as a longtime follower, of course, because I'd been watching wrestling by that time for, what, about 15, 16, 18 years? I don't know what it was. And, yeah, he was replaced. He can't replace Marty. And Gene had a different delivery because he was more animated in his style. He, right from the onset, he would raise his eyebrows when one of the bad guys would say something that was a little ludicrous or something, and uh, he'd, he'd kind of look at the camera. Those, those were kind of mannerisms that Marty O'Neill never did. So he was up against being compared to somebody that was adored, okay? Mm -hmm. So my initial reaction was, boy, I don't know if I like this guy. You know, when's Marty coming back? I mean, that was a normal thing. But I still liked him. I mean, it wasn't that he did a bad job. And it was one of the funniest things because we were sitting at the St. Paul Auditorium for the card. That one of the, I think it was the very first one that Gene was going to do the ring announcing at during this strike. And he, whatever the match was, it was like a 30-minute time limit or something. When Gene got back down to the announcer's table, he was the, it was the very first time that a ringside announcer said, over the PA system, when the match had progressed, he'd go, 10 minutes, elapsed, elapsed time, 10 minutes. And I remember me and a couple of the guys in the front, we looked at it and go, what? You know, it was, it was different, but it was a new style. And he did that pretty much for the rest of his, his broadcast career. So to answer your question, initially, I wasn't that excited about him.
yeah, filling Marty O'Neill's shoes that had to have been uh, just, again, monumental for, for Gene. But he cern- certainly learned, learned to find his comfort zones. And some of the things that you can remember are, are a lot of those really notable interviews, some of the stuff that you can find online. And uh, you talk about going way back, uh, some of uh, Oakland's earliest interviews I'm reading in, a, in an article here that was put out uh, by the uh, Star Tribune. Uh, I, I was just doing some research here, but it said that uh, one of his first interviews uh, while he was with Nick Bockwinkel and Bobby Heen, and can you talk about some of those early interviews and just how comfortable Gene kind of found a rapport with a lot of guys and, and definitely want to talk about some people he had great interviews with through the years in the AWA and even beyond Nick Bockwinkle and of course Bobby Heenan for, for many years his compadre well you know here's the key to to any wrestling announcer back in the kayfabe era and it was funny because Greg and Jim, Greg, Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel, they both brought this out yesterday in interviews that I heard them on talking about Gene as well. The, the wrestling announcer, be it a Marty, be it a Gene Okerlund, or, or any of the other great wrestling announcers, Gordon Soley, you know, Lance Russell, Bill Cottle, you name them, go around the country. These guys, they didn't have a script. They... They came on, they knew, what the, they knew what they were supposed to do on TV, and they didn't have a written script word for word. They basically, you know, as the old story goes, they knew the town they were promoting for, the city. They knew the matches that they were going to be pushing, and the wrestlers would come in, and they would throw the wrestlers a line and let the wrestler give his spiel. And again, the wrestlers had no script, so they were they were totally spontaneous, and they you know each interview for a wrestler was usually uh, two and a half, two to two and a half maybe three minutes long that interview segment, and in that time frame, you've got to have the announcer putting the card over, then bringing in the wrestler that's in in the interview that segment, and feeding him some sort of a line. And then when that wrestler is done, again, giving the fans that plug to get to the box office to get your tickets. But it was all spontaneous. And Gene Okerlund was so good at playing with the wrestlers with no script in mind. And also, he did something that was different from the traditional Marty O'Neill, was when a guy like Jesse Ventura would say something that was a little off the charts. Gene would kind of give that look and then make the comment, Oh, come on now, Jesse Ventura. And then Jesse would go, let me tell you something mean, Gene. By the way, that's where the name came from. It was Jesse that gave him that mean Gene uh, title, but it was, it was, it was Gene Okerlund doing that. And, He'd look at the camera and raise his eyebrows or kind of shake his head a little bit. And that was all part of the show. And then he would say things to Hulk Hogan, you know, like, you mean to tell me that you want to take on Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens by yourself? Or something like that. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he became more of the show... And a lot of people will tell you that he was as much a part of the show as the wrestlers themselves were. So, again, wrestling had, you know, blossomed to that point in time where it was more 
character coming out from not only him, but the wrestlers as well. And he was so good. Uh, Marty O'Neill would have done it differently. You know, if, if, the, if Marty made a comment, the wrestler would just shut him up and say, you don't know, you'd be quiet. You're just an announcer. And then Marty would just let him finish. But Gene played with him and he was very good at it. Oh, unmistakable! And uh, I was reading Ventura in, in this interview. He he, uh, Vent- he called him inevitably, uh, laughingly called him Mean Gene, Hot Air Machine, and then the Mean Gene thing kind of came out from there. Yes, yeah, that was the original, and I actually did remember that. It was kind of funny when I heard Jesse say that yesterday because um, I had actually remembered that first time, and then you know I just out of sight, out of mind. I never thought about it again. But, you know, there's always been controversy over the years, too. Various people. I know uh, a while back I had heard somebody saying, you know, well, who gave Gene Okerlund the Mean Gene tag? And a couple people said, well, it was Hulk Hogan. And I even had one person say that it was Ric Flair. And then somebody said, no, it was Jesse. Well, it was Jesse. And the rest of the wrestlers, they played off of it. I mean, whether it be the good guys, the the calm and collected, quiet type like Greg and Jim, or, you know, anybody, they, they did refer to him as Mean Gene. But they would do it in, you know, a much lower, you know, if it was a Greg Gagne, you'd say, well, you know, Mean Gene, that isn't the way this went. But the guys, the the, the Hulks and the, you know, the Venturas and everything, they would really bring it out. Let me tell you something, Mean Gene. So, yeah, it, it was... It was just a fun time. We got to remember the Iron Sheik, Khosrow Vasiri. He would change it and come out and call him Gene Mean. <laughs> I don't know if people remember that, but he would never do Mean Gene. He'd say in his in his accent, and it would be Gene Mean. <laughs> no, George, you, you mentioned something like that with, with, with Cosro. What are, are some of the other moments that you can remember, you know, some of the, the big ones that uh, you, when you think of Mean Gene and the AWA, uh, some of the highlights for you, uh, you can remember, you can think right off the cuff uh, when we talk about Mean Gene and, and just how much he did bring uh, to the table in regards to what he did for the AWA. Well, I think as Greg said it yesterday, and, and so I'll use something, I'll kind of steal something that he said. Gene Okerlund become, became a, a, a character along with the wrestlers because he was able to uh, energize the fans watching. And it wasn't just the, uh, you know, and I'm going to tell you one goofy skit that at the time I thought it was absolutely asinine. And it was, my comment was, what has this got to do with wrestling? But if you looked at wrestling, you know, I, let's let's say this, uh, Glenn. Myself and many others were quick to criticize a lot of things that Vince McMahon has done through the years with the characters and some of the skits and different things that he did. But if we want to be honest, if you look back at the kayfabe era, there were many instances where wrestling promotions did some pretty crazy stunts and, and gimmicks for various cards and wrestlers. And I mean, you know, I know we're going to go off just a little bit here, but if you look down at Texas, Texas was always kind of the, the land of, they did a lot of weird things at times. When they would have uh, Tony Bourne, tough Tony Bourne, get into a, to a, a brew howl with promoter Paul Bosch. 
and they ended up having a loser rides a donkey match. Okay. Well, you know that Tony Bourne is going to, you know, and Paul Bosch was the promoter, but he got pushed into this because he couldn't, he couldn't deal with Tony Bourne anymore. And, and Paul Bosch had been a wrestler, you know, in the past. So they have this donkey match. Then they have, you know, like paint, paint the loser, uh, tar and feather him with, uh, syrup and feathers. <laughs> so, I mean, th- there were all kinds of goofy things. And where this leads to is I remember when the WWF was about a, oh, maybe six, eight, ten months into their uh, national expansion run, and they're running here in the Twin Cities. And Gene Okerlund had gotten into it because he had jumped over to the WWF, which I will back up now and say that is the second time that Gene Okerlund was in the right place at the right time. And he certainly deserved to get the attention and the, and the run that he did. But when Hulk Hogan jumped to the WWF in 1984, a lot of people don't realize that part of the deal was Hogan wanted Gene Okerlund to come with him because Hogan liked working with Gene, and they had become friends here in the AWA. Long story short, Vince McMahon had no problem with that because Gene Okerlund, if you looked around the country at that point, of all of the many promotions, I would say that Gene Okerlund was the leader to be on camera for Vince's national expansion. And so it just made sense. And uh, Gene jumped. Now, about six, four, five, six months into the run, we were getting AWA matches, and then we were getting WWF matches here in the Twin Cities. And they built up the deal where Hogan was going to take Mean Gene as his tag team partner, basically saying, I don't need a partner. I want to take these two guys on by myself, but I'll take Mean Gene. But they did these little vignettes where Hogan was training, getting Gene into shape. And I think he was mixing them uh, egg, egg yolk shakes or something, and they were showing them jogging and going up and down the, the bleachers or the, the stands at the arena, supposedly to get Gene in shape. And then Gene was his partner at the Met Sports Center here. It was uh, Hogan and Gene against George the Animal Steel and Mr. Fuji. And... Of course, during the match, you know, Gene's not doing anything. Gene's not a wrestler, so you knew he wasn't going to get in and out. So any time when it was safe for him to go in and do something, he would get a kick or a stomp in, and he'd tag off, and Hogan would come in. Finally, at the end of the match, Hogan destroys both Fuji and Steel, and then he tags off to Gene, and Gene goes in and gets a pin over Mr. Fuji. And Gene won the match. But... You know, when I saw it at the time, I remember just being, part of it was showing me that the WWF was doing some things that the AWA hadn't done, and I was very disappointed. But when I look back in hindsight, and again, being fair, it was the way wrestling was progressing, but it was also things that wrestling had done at various times with goofy gimmicks and shenanigans, and it it was all part of the show. And Gene was perfect for that role. 
I mean, he absolutely was perfect for it. Mm-hmm. And you're listening to Rasslin Memories then and now, Glenn Braggett, along with George Shire, as we are remembering the career of Mean Gene Okerlin, who passed away here on January 2nd at the age of 76. Uh, I want to bring back the conversation a little bit uh, back to uh, um, let's talk. We're going to talk about how he left the uh, the AWA, of course. But I really wanted to go back to uh, just how important Gene was in the AWA uh, in the uh, I guess in the advancement of the personality that Hulk Hogan ended up becoming because there were people, you know, helped out behind the scenes because Hulk was still trying to find his way. And uh, there was probably a lo- just maybe one or two um, uh, takes of, of interviews. But having Mean Gene there was, was almost like the perfect guide for Hogan to kind of find himself and, and initially find the character that was appealing, I guess, became appealing more. It was more than just Thunderlips, I think, that got Hulk Hogan where he was. I think it was the rapport he had with Gene. You have to really consider that too. Oh, I certainly do, and I'll tell you what. Um, I think it's the case with any wrestling ho- any host of any uh, venue you want to go with. It's it's the host that kind of uh, steers the ship, shall we say? And they're the ones that can put the person being interviewed at ease, make them feel comfortable. You know, here we're gonna we'll do this together, and and just follow my follow my lead, that sort of thing. Um, and you know, if fans, since you brought up Hogan, if fans want to look up on YouTube, there are some very early Hulk Hogan, AWA interviews. I know there's one for sure. There might be a couple, but when he first came the, probably his very first or second interview in the AWA, he initially, he was brought in to be a heel and he was not very good at on the mic at all. I mean, the the Terry Bollier, his the Hulk Hogan persona that we saw, you know, like a year or two later and beyond, was not evident when he first came to the AWA. And they brought in uh, Luscious Johnny Valiant to be his mouthpiece. You got to have got a heel. You got to have an arrogant, cocky, uh, you know, bombastic manager. And, and Luscious Johnny was that. So. Any fan that remembers Johnny Valiant, along with his wrestling brother Jimmy, they they were characters on the microphone. So he was there to put over Hulk, and Hulk very seldom, on the first couple of interviews, said anything. Now, when you on the YouTube video, when you do hear Hulk talk, you can see that um, he's he's either uh, intimidated a little bit, maybe at playing a heel. I don't know. Or he's just a little bit like he probably naturally was, kind of a shy, introverted person. But it wasn't long when you're working with Gene, because Gene Okerlund had that ability to make the guys comfortable, follow my lead, and let's just get this done. And Gene had that ability, which I think most wrestling announcers had. But I think Gene had probably a better quality of it. And he, he brought out Hulk Hogan along, you know, and it wasn't long when the fans were cheering Hogan, even though he was supposed to be a heel. And I think within a month or two, Johnny Valiant was history and Hogan was now gaining popularity. And then the Thunderlips thing came about and all of that. And, you know, the rest is history, but it was Gene had that effect. 
And I think they did develop uh, a good friendship, which they did. And when it come time a few years later that uh, Hogan was going to be making the jump, you know, he, he initially had two requests of Vince McMahon, that he was ready to go to Vince because Vince promised him the title and he was going to, he knew all about the expansion thoughts. And he said, I want Gene Okerlund to come with me and I want Dr. D. David Schultz. And, you know, he wanted David Schultz to come with him because him and him and Dr. D had this great feud going in the AWA and they had great, uh, chemistry between them, both on their interviews and certainly in their matches. So Hogan protected himself and said, I want my two comfort zones to come with me. And again, Vince had no qualms about Oakland, and certainly he had none about Dr. D, because Dr. D, of all of the kayfabe era 80s heels, he's my favorite. I love that man. I loved him on interviews. I loved his wrestling. And if I had to make my list of favorite wrestlers, Dr. D is on that list. Mm -hmm. So he was a great uh, addition. But Hogan chose his comfort zone. You bring up Dr. D. David Schultz, and of course, uh, there's uh, a couple of interviews he's done with you know in the AWA, most notably that have made the rounds on YouTube uh, with, with Okerlund. And one of those few times that uh, uh, you know Okerlund could get cracked as far as uh, you know what David was saying, uh, where Okerlund almost completely lost his, his composure uh, laughing. I mean, there's if there's a few guys that can crack uh, Mean Gene, it was Dr. D. David Schultz, and those interviews are definitely indicative of it. Well, and another one was, was Bobby Heenan. Um, there, there are some interviews out there where Bobby Heenan will go on to one of his famous rants, and you know how good he was on the mic, and he'll be saying stuff, and all of a sudden, if you watch Gene, uh, you'll, you'll see him kind of put his hand over his mouth just a second, or he'll just kind of turn just a little bit away from the camera, and, you know, he's got that smirk, and, he, you know, you could tell he's about ready to break out in a serious laugh. And it was all because Bobby could throw him a line. But in return, they needed Gene Okerlund to feed them the greatest lines. I mean, if it was the high flyers coming out, you knew that Greg and Jim, they weren't going to rave and rant and, and like a heel. Because in those days, I mean, and that is a major difference from today's uh, wrestling entertainment, is that in that era, you had clear-cut good guy, bad guy, black and white. There was no gray area in there. And Greg and Jim, you know, as a typical baby face, they would come out and both of them would be, you know, very soft-spoken, you know. Oh, well, let me tell you this, Gene, you know, we're going to go out there and we're going to give it 110% and we're not going to allow the Sheik to take uh, the title back to Iraq and that sort of thing. And where the bad guys would come out and you know what they did. They screamed and yelled and spit and the whole thing. And Gene was always able to uh, just feed them the right lines. But again, never any scripts. And to me, that is where the real talent comes in for all of these guys, the announcers included, where they didn't have a three-page script they had to memorize to go out and deliver it they just did it off the cuff. That may, and that was reality TV before reality TV was around. 
Yeah, it's it's hitting your points. It's hitting your marks, and, and you know, getting you know, not everything having to be in this like in this day and age with all of this scripted stuff. Everything is so scripted, so tight that it just it loses that that organic appeal that uh, you know we watched. You know, growing, you know, watching through the territory era uh, with these programs and with these personalities, these guys that had to think a little bit faster, and people who are good to enable them in a good conversation, like your Gene Okerlands, who uh, you know once Vince again you mentioned. And uh, once Vince had his eyes out, uh, he he you know he, he wanted Hulk. He got he got Mean Gene Okerlund. I mean, we got to talk a little bit about uh, just how much of an impact uh, and, and what happened really w- when Gene decided to uh, to to jump ship and, and join Vince. I mean, uh, the impact it had not only for him but also his relationship with Vern Gagne. Well, you know, I think that the relationship with Vern Gagne was obviously strained for a little bit because. You know, again, you can go back, and I mean, this was a very, uh, very tension-filled time for about three, four years in professional wrestling as a whole, because you had the business sort of changed overnight. I mean, Vern Gagne would have been the first person, along with so many other old-school promoters, tell you that we ran our business on a handshake. Our guys gave us their word, and we gave them ours. And we didn't have to worry about them taking off to another territory and holding us hostage, either for more money or, or they're just not going to show up. And when this started to happen, I mean, and again, remember earlier I mentioned that they would tape the TV shows three, four weeks, sometimes five weeks in advance, get them all boxed up and send them off to the different TV stations and the markets for upcoming cards. So they're advertising matches that are two, three weeks out. And in the case of Gene Okerlund, when he left, and he left abruptly, I can tell you, you go back to January, February of 1984, and here in the AWA, we'd have one show that had segments of Ken Resnick on doing the TV and then we'd have another segment where it'd be Gene Okerlund doing uh, an interview or, or something and it was very confusing because at the same time you turn over to the uh, All-Star Wrestling's former TV station at the time CARE 11 and here is WWF with Mean Gene hosting it and telling you that he's now in the Big Apple and the greatest wrestlers in the world, where you turn over at the same time to, and in fact, for a very short time, they were on the same time period during a Saturday night. And so you turn the channel, and now he's on the AWA. The average wrestling fan must have been scratching their heads, either thinking that it's all just one big promotion, you know, those that didn't really think about it too hard, or, or they were just like, what is going on? I mean, it was, it was interesting. And, but Gene Okerlund's impact uh, in the WWF, I, I have nothing but great things to say about all the work that he did there. We know that at times he got into silly skits along with Bobby Heenan and, you know, some things with Gorilla Monsoon and, you know, and some of the wrestlers he would you know, get into a little thing with, but Gene was professional and he always did it good. 
And when you look at all of the highlight videos that he's done and all of the historical footage that he's done, I mean, I got to tell you, there is nobody. And I, I would probably go so far as, as, as if Marty O'Neill would have still been available. I, I probably would have said, you know what, I'd rather have Gene doing these type of things than I would Marty. Because I think Gene really projected wrestling and presented it both as serious as it should have been presented, but when it could be clownish and it was going to be a comedy show, he could go along with that too. He just really had that, that inner talent, if you can call it that, and he knew how to make it happen. Yeah, he had all the ultimate versatility, uh, definitely, for, for Gene. I mean, he, he, again, right place, right time, part two for, for Okerlund because, you know, that jump in 84, you know, was basically the momentum of what Vince was doing. And by 1985, uh, uh, WrestleMania has has uh, dropped, that WrestleMania era, the, the rock and wrestling era. And who do we see there? Uh, mean Gene Okerlund. Uh, who, who would have thought, you know, when you're watching him down in Minneapolis that, you know, within a couple of years he'd be, just so magnificent, you know, so mainstream to the point where he had his own LJN wrestling figure. Yes, yes, and I mean, we we even seen him do uh, uh, "Tutti Fruity" the song on uh, Vince's wrestling album back there in '85 or whatever whatever year it came out. I mean, he, he took all the wrestlers and he had them do a tune. Remember, Nikolai Volkov did. Uh, oh boy, was that Karamia? Karamia. Karamia, and he did it good. And I mean, Mean Gene, if you listen to his Tutti Fruity, he did it good, too. I mean, uh, you know, you know, he, he really was uh, just a classic figure. And I, I just think, again, as good as he was, as talented as he, as he was, and, and the charis, charismatic as he was, uh, that was another time where he was in the right place at the right time. You know, the chips just all fell on the table in the right way, and and he was there and he was the best man for it and you know george he still remained he still remained glenn yeah um a somewhat humble guy i had a chance at Vern Gagne's funeral which is now about what two and a half years ago hmm. uh, at Vern Gagne's funeral memorial service gene was there and he sat at uh the table that i was at and at the uh the banquet afterwards, the, the meal. And Gene and I just small talked. It was all, I'll be honest, it was only the second time that I had ever talked to Gene because I hadn't talked to him since he was in the AWA. And I had talked with him initially back, I want to say it was about 1976 or 7 for a little bit. So I didn't know Mean Gene well personally. But we sat at the table and again, Gene had said to me, and again, this goes back to where, you know, it's kind of fun sometimes. He says, you know, I, I really want to, I really appreciate all the things that you say and do for wrestling. So, you know, he was aware that I'm out there, but I'm sitting back again and saying, wow, Gene is thanking me. You know, I, I will admit I could still always mark out for some of these guys. Uh, I, I think I had made the comment to you one time when we were talking about Marty O'Neill. I said, you know, I met Marty when I was, I physically met him when I was 17. And Marty asked me after we, he asked me about why I buy all these programs. I think you remember that story. Mm -hmm. And 
when Marty said to me one night at the at the St. Paul Auditorium, he said, you know, would you care to ride with me to uh, Redwood Falls to a wrestling cart? And I remember as a 17-year-old kid, I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I'm thinking to myself, Marty O'Neill wants me to ride with him? Oh, my gosh, you know. And, and, I, and I remember when I talked with Gene at Vern's memorial service that when he made that comment to me, I not only appreciated it because he didn't have to say anything. You know, some of these guys, and this is the sad part about the wrestling business and I'm sure any other business. Some of these guys get so full of themselves and so, so big on their own egos that they, they tend to look down on other people. And I can say that many of the wrestlers that I've known through the years, they weren't that way. And when they do say to you and thank you or appreciate you, it's like, wow, they're saying that to me. And Gene, when he made that comment to me, um, I thanked him. And, you know, that was it. I mean, there were so many people there. and But, yeah, he, he didn't lose that I'm better than you because you're just George Shire or Joe, John Doe, or whoever, and I'm Gene Okerlund. He, I never got that from him, that he had that air about him. Interestingly enough, I heard Greg Gagne say yesterday on one of his uh, interviews, he said, Gene was a normal guy. He, he was down to earth, and he, he was just a good friend. So I like hearing that, because Gene Okerlund, we know all the people that he met, all the opportunities that he had to meet people that were bigger in stature and financial success than you and me are. And he still remained kind of a nice down to earth guy. I like that. And that's a very cool way to be. I mean, and the fact too is, you know, in, in later years when Gene retired, he, uh, you know, he lived, lived down in Sarah, you know, down in the Florida, down there, down in the Florida area around the, near Sarasota in Osprey. But he also, was always up here at his cabin and he never really got got rid of the cabin so he always had a tie up here too and you know he wasn't a minnesota guy uh he was born in sisseton south dakota but we have definitely embraced him and he he just seemed like he was an honorary minnesotan both uh you know in his with his wrestling contribution and just you know living uh for part of the year in the state oh definitely and and you know just his son todd who i've talked with a few times todd is very low-key very very polite uh, very mild mannered, if you want to use it that way, and so I, I, it makes me proud too because he doesn't walk around, and I appreciate this from Todd. He doesn't walk around trying to toss out that hey, my dad's Gene Okerlund. You know, I mean, he's he's just very down to earth. So Gene did a good job uh, with with Todd as well, and you know, the passing of Gene Okerlund, and this is what I've been up against. You and I have talked about this. Um, you know, I'm at that age now, Glenn, where it seems like on a, on a monthly basis, um, I'm either losing one of my favorite wrestling stars over the decades or someone related to wrestling or family members or good friends. You know, you're at that age where people are just, they're leaving you right and left. And it's kind of spooky. It's kind of scary because... Uh, you know, it, it puts it all into perspective for every one of us. We know that those words live each day to its fullest, uh, uh, always live today, 
and have fun because you don't know about tomorrow. Tomorrow's not given to us. All the different cliches that can be used. But, you know, all of a sudden I realize and I say, you know what? It's all true, man, because there is no promise. I know a few a few weeks back when I you and I talked about uh, Larry Hennig, and when he uh, called me that day and, and we talked, and he thanked me, and it was almost like it was a goodbye, and then two weeks later I get the news that he passed, and it's like, damn, I was just with him. You know, and, and he looked good. And so, you know, with Gene, I know in the last couple of years he has had some some setbacks. I think his last public appearance on wrestling, if I'm not mistaken, was like January of, was it either 17 or January of 18? So a year ago, uh, he did something for one of Vince's uh pay-per-views but i think that was his last run we know that he'd been doing voiceovers and different things like that for a long time but uh he, he's dealt with a lot of health issues and that he had kid, kidney problems uh, he, he joked he said that he would had three kidney transplants and he had made the comment that the one he currently has the time is about up for it and this was some time back mm-hmm. so um, you know, in 76, I mean, there, there again, the older we get, the younger that seems. Now you're, now you're just a pup next to me, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm, uh, he, Gene was 76, I'm 67. 76 doesn't seem that far away anymore. You know, it's like, wow, it's not very old. When I was 26, yeah, 76, forget it. I'll never be there. That's, you know, forever. But uh, we, we change as we get older. Yeah, remember when 40 seemed like uh, that was just going to be, oh, man, the world was going to be over. I'm turning 40. I might as well just go to the nursing home. I know it. And you know what? I did that, Glenn. I know when I turned 40, that was my hardest. I never had a problem with 50 or 60. But I remember 40. It was I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> now I got a daughter who's turning 44. So what does that tell you? Well, man, I'll be turning 43 this year, so I'm kind of in that phase, too, so I can understand. You know, before we go uh, today, you know, we we talked about Gene. You know, we we brushed a, a little bit up on the fact that he was a radio guy and he did advertising and sales and marketing. But, you know, there's a couple of singles that are still out there if you're a, a collector. Uh, the name Gene Carroll and the Shades. Now, that may not mean a lot to uh, somebody tuning in uh, out there in Oklahoma, but this guy... Gene Carroll, he put out a few records and ended up uh, in the South Dakota Rock and Roll Music Association's Hall of Fame. But yeah, back in the late 50s, Gene was a rocker and or a roller. Yep, he was. Yeah, and that's interesting that you bring that out because I had forgotten about that part of it. And it's funny, too, because yesterday after I had gotten the news that he died, I was I was in my wrestling room and I looked at one photo that I have on the wall. And it jumped out at me. I mean, you know, the photos are on the wall and you don't necessarily see them every day because they're there and you you don't target in on them. But I looked at this particular one and this one's rather unique because it was taken probably around uh, 1973 or four. And Gene Okerlund is on the AWA set and he's interviewing uh, Nick and Ray. But here's the unique part of the photo. Gene Okerlund has no mustache. And he's got hair on the top of his head. 
So I looked at it. Yes, in fact, I'm looking at it as I'm talking to you right now, and I'm going, yeah, that that is a really young-looking Gene Okerlund. <laughs> Fresh out of rock and roll and radio, man. He was ready to go. But, yeah, that definitely seems like uh, that wasn't uh, uh, just taken, you know, in 1978. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty cool find. It, it says on the photo, he's standing there holding the mic as Nick has given him some business. And, and Gene is looking straight on. He's got hair on the top of his head. He's got no mustache. And in the back, the banner on the TV set there, it says uh, Davenport Ballpark, September 12th. So I'd have to go to my results records and figure out when that September 12th date was. But I'm guessing it was 73 or 74. And, yeah, Gene looks totally different. I mean, oh, my gosh. So now I really love this picture. Very cool stuff, George. Uh, you know, we, we talked, I mentioned Gene Carroll and the Shades. For those who want to check it out, you can find these songs on YouTube if you're not a collector. Uh, 1959, the song Red Devil, backed up by Do You Remember? And he even had a second single. He waited from 59 to 62. You know, he probably had some, wor- you know, workshopping to do in between. But he ended up, uh, they ended up putting out a second single called Is It Ever Gonna Happen? Along with Holly. He put out that release just as Gene Carroll. So uh, yeah, for those who uh, follow the uh, the band scene back in the Midwest and the Dakotas, I mean, there was so many bands, so much rock and roll in those early days. That's in and of itself an interesting uh, th- thing to discover for for another show. Well, here you make the comment. He has the single that says, "Is it ever going to happen?" I guess we could probably end our show with saying, "Yes, Mean Gene, it happened. You are a legend, and we will miss you." And thank you always for the contribution that you gave. I know me, and I've got to believe every wrestling fan. And thank you for being part of the show that we all love. Mm-hmm. And yes, you put it so perfectly, George. Mean Gene, man, thank you so much for the memories of watching you as a six-year-old kid to wanting to call you on that hotline that you had so many scoops for back in the WCW days to some of the stuff you did after you retired in semi-retirement. Whatever you did, man, you always seemed to do it with class and you always seemed to do it with gusto. And farewell to you, Mean Gene. We'll have you in the memories that we can watch online or in the our, in our in our minds as well so george what a way to wrap up this edition of wrestling memories then and now i hope the next time we get together i mean we love paying tribute to these guys but i hope the next time we're together it'll be a, a i guess a, a very positive fun energetic hour where we look back and maybe even talk to a legend or two let's do it thanks as always glenn i know you don't always get the credit that you deserve because you put me over when you introduce me and you do your other hosts but i got to tell everybody listening glenn Broggett is the man that runs the ship back there at the station and i know i didn't want the job i don't want the job and you do it and you do it well and you deserve to be uh given all the credit and I thank you for it. Thank you too, George. Uh, for George Shire, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Rasslin' Memories Then and Now.